So, Jake, you were going to tell us about this really dumb argument that you were going to try and bull your way through. Okay, so why is a leg more valuable than a brain? Um, uh-huh. or 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 your for that matter. I mean, but go go ahead. I was I, don't know, I was counting that as attached. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. You said body part. You didn't say limb. Yeah. Wait. Okay, so the the Lips argument for the attached. leg. The argument for the leg. I got a pretty good leg. Like I'm not I'm not super tall, but I got a working I got a working leg. So if I'm gonna lose, or you I'm gonna that, keep, ladies, working leg. <laughs> Um, but you don't have a working brain. Is that where this is going? No, but here's the thing. If we're doing like a swap out thing and I have to swap out a body part, I could You're swap out s- a brain with somebody who's smarter than I am. You could also like, swap it out with an athlete's so leg. But yeah. no, but then you only have one athlete's leg. Like if I have Hussein's bolt like leg, I can like what do really well in like a, what are those races where you tie your feet together? A three-legged race? Yeah, I could do really well in that. And then... You know you still have to use your other leg in that race. I know, but the asymmetry won't be too much of a problem there. I just need to find someone like equally as tall as he is. But the point is, like, you would be asymmetrical. So you wouldn't really be able to walk. It would be a problem. Honestly, you'd probably just need like crutches or a wheelchair at that point. But a brain... Swap me out with like somebody else's, like a genius brain. Go like harvest an MIT student or something. I'm good to go with that. An arm, you could take it or leave it. Because, you know, once you're really big into handstands, it's not a huge deal. I'm not seeing the flaw in this argument. I think one of your flaws was thinking that MIT students were smarter than anyone else. I think that the major conversation from my perspective here is that uh, it, it, any brain would be better than Jake's. Is where I'm at with this. (laughs) Exactly. So I was correct. His argument is so poorly thought out that any brain would be an improvement and therefore there is no reason to contest this. He has proved his argument by making such a argument about it. I cannot contest the idiocy I'm witnessing. So yeah, I'm good. All right, welcome, wait, wait, ducklings, wait, wait. to whatever we... episode we are on for this podcast. <laughs> we wrap this up, there's, there's one quote that I feel like really, really just drives it home, what you guys were saying. I think you were reaching for it, but you didn't find it. In the wise words of the judge from Billy Madison, 1995, at no point in your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. So, in an attempt to bring us back on track after that really horrible debate that we started this thing off on, mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about how we overcome our own biases to become a uh, professional instead of just a fan in our various industries, hobbies, what have you. So, Jake, how do we turn our, your incoherent rambling into something that's not an incoherent ramble? Effectively. That wasn't a half bad transition. There you go. So, you're admitting that the leg is more valuable. I have the right to remain silent. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, I don't know what podcast we're actually on, what number it is. Uh, 
I also forgot what week of quarantine it is because my coworker stopped putting up the little weekly counters, but I think we're over 20. 75? Yeah. Right. I don't know what the sun feels like anymore. I mean, the sun is a massive incandescent gas. I ordered months ago nose clips for my cloth mask, thinking that, wow, I hope this is still a thing in July. <laughs> it, was like, it was it was like one of those moments where I was like, oh, this is gonna be around forever. Um but uh more fun topics. The main reason why we're here, professional instead of fan. And I think one of the things I want to do first is ident not really identify the two, but what is the difference between a fan who does all the research and maybe knows techniques professionals has done and what the professional does. I think the best example was um, the argument, like the classic Reddit argument that we talked about in the past where it's like, if they're making skins for the game, why aren't they fixing XYZ mechanic? Oh, that wasn't, that was not Reddit. That was this one individual on youtube who i will not mention their name because i don't want their name associated with this at all or any backfire i think it's a pretty common argument though i've heard it a million times in a million different places it's like ah they've got time to make cosmetics they don't have time i think that's it's not a great way of defining what the player's perspective is but that's very indicative of it where there's, there's not a lot of thought given to the actual development process it's sort of like an exterior look at what's going on where like a developer is this like multi-talented, just, uh, I don't know. One man band. One man band of sorts. Yeah. That's running around, making all the skins, programming, all the mechanics, all of these things, you know, that's just right. not the case at all. So there's definitely a level of ignorance in fans that I think at times gets masked behind them reading articles about the industry and thinking then that they know how it all works because they read this one article on some website game magazine thing that I will not mention any specific names of. I think in there too, you have the inherent construct of um, criticism, right? Where like you observe a work I'm going to use literature because it's handy. Um, that's what most of my training's in. Um, and you observe this work without really having any legitimate, necessarily, insight into what it took to produce that. Right. Right? And I think a lot of times, particularly in narratives, you have people that are like, oh, why did you make this choice instead of this choice? And it's like, well, because domino effect says that the choice you just suggested results in destruction on the grand scale. I kind of related to that. My One of my friends sent me a video that was discussing the issue with this one web comic that I read because the relationship between the two characters is a thousand something year difference but the issue is is those characters are gods sweet statutory and and immortal and I swear officer she was a five thousand year old vampire 
So my issue is, is that whenever I go to write any immortal character in any tabletop game I do or just in my world, it's really hard to understand how they view time and if they would even care if the age is a thousand year difference when you've lived for 20,000 years or so. Mm. Like, that's completely... It's a whole different scale for them, right? Are you just calling me old? Is that what this is? No. <laughs> no, but I think... Then you have fans who jump on it and they say, oh, well, that he's so much older than her and this is improper. And I'm like, well, you're not really considering it from the writer's perspective who are writing about these characters who are hundreds of thousands of years old, so... I mean, nobody is questioned that it when... actually a lot of age? Nobody questioned Bella and Edward. That was a very straightforward yeah. century-large gap. Yeah, right? But I think it's because then Edward was made to look like a teenager still. So the visuals, people were like, no, he's not a teenager. And I was like, no, he's not. He's, he's her grandfather. I mean, Robert I Pattinson we... is gorgeous. I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> we might no, have been caught it... up questioning them for other reasons. <clears throat> but it's moments like that where fans take it and they start running with it and they don't actually consider what the writer thought about when doing the characters or... Well, no, that makes sense because the character is immortal and you're not immortal. So your societal norms don't apply to it. That's what I thought of whenever you mentioned that, Mezio. No, it's fair. I also think that, like, um, in the confines of <laughs> specifically immortality, you have a, a different perspective on the raw reason of why we would ask that question, right? Yeah. And I think there there is that kind of same ethereal veil in production of any work or development of any work where you're looking at it going like, this is how that occurred. And the story of how that occurred is sometimes incredibly interesting and oftentimes not because you right. can't actually comprehend what happened. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think it's a back on immortality. It's also the same thing as where immortals make decisions that we find questionable, but they see it as this is going to pay off in a decade or so. I do want to. You just don't see it yet. Anyway, I do just want to chip shot in. We are not calling ourselves nor anyone else a god in this oh, conversation. No. <laughs> <clears throat> I would no. just like to chip in. I am a god. I am calling myself Jake. a god in this conversation. Fight Jake, me. you haven't mentioned anything this conversation. Well, actually, then I will bring up one thing. I think if I could play devil's advocate here, right, with the idea of the thousand-year-old vampire and it coming off strange, the player's perspective or the fan's perspective, depending on the medium you're talking about, is very much guided by that sort of like the gut reaction, like the id more so than like the articulated um, thought behind the plot. And I think it's almost a little more honest in that way. Like, yes, technically there's nothing wrong with the thousand year age gap if you're talking about something that's 20,000 year olds and 19,000 year old. But right. the idea of a thousand year age gap still feels strange to think about it. Right. And if it kind of, it's on us to consider, like as designers of various things, um, does it feel weird? Even if it makes sense logically. Like, does the game, does the mechanic feel bad? Even if, like, I know it makes sense. I think the litmus test there is what would your mom say? I think a way around it is you could just also not call attention to it. 
Like, how old is he? Who knows? I stopped counting birthdays because they're meaningless, says the vampire. Hey, listen, you leave, you leave me out of that, okay? <laughs> um, but it's, I think you're right, Jake, is that fans typically have a gut reaction to anything that gets exposed, brought up, instead of ever taking a step back and considering it from a more logical or in-depth, ooh, okay, instead of having a shallow reaction to it, actually taking a moment to dive deeper into it and consider it. Hot, which, hot takes only, please. <laughs> which I feel like most fans don't really do. I guess just the point I'm trying to make here is that that perspective is sometimes a little more honest and in some cases a bit more valuable than the designer's perspective. Where like, I know everything that goes into the mechanic of how um, a ship flies in a game, but I can't escape the fact that when I give it to somebody and they play it, they immediately complain like this doesn't feel good. And I can tell you that it makes sense. And I can tell you this is how you're supposed to do it. Look, if I show you the right way, it makes sense to you. But if they if it feels bad when they get a control in their hands, no matter how much sense I've put into it, it kind of doesn't matter. I don't think it's like contradictory to what you're saying at all. I just think that there's maybe a bit of value in that point of view that we might be overlooking. I think that I can take that and actually spin it back to being a professional and along the lines of players don't actually know what they want. So if you have someone say, I want a realistic gravity in this thing, a bunch of folks are like, well, no, you don't. You want it to feel good. So a professional is able to take that gut reaction from a fan that says, I think I want this this doesn't feel realistic or maybe I think it should be like this and actually interpret it and produce something that may not be uh, physics-based. May not be set in reality, but invokes the feeling that the player was trying to reach, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's kind of like analyzing your data and knowing what people are really asking for. I definitely don't think like your average player could articulate exactly what's wrong with my physics system in my game. Like no. there's, there's no possible way, but them telling me this doesn't feel good is a bit valuable. I think oh, furthermore, it's sometimes difficult from a design perspective when you're in there making the thing and you've played it a million times in testing this level, this mechanic to step back and have that moment of like, how does this really feel? Yeah. It's like a blind spot that we tend to have. Yeah. Especially when you've played the game for as many times as you have when you're testing it, you're adding new things to it. You start to get accustomed to how it plays where you may no longer see those flaws anymore because it's just been ingrained into you that this is how the game works and you've overcome any difficulty curve that may exist. Yeah. Hmm. I think in that, to unpack that notion, rather, is the idea of process at the core of it, whereas a professional 
will always consider process and the evolution of somebody's process as a component in this, but a fan may not. A fan's only interested in results, or at least very often only interested in results, I should say. Prime example of that, whenever I talk about Outer Wilds, the first thing I always say is that it started as a master's thesis. But if you were to ask my friends about Outer Wilds, they're like, oh, is that that space game? That Jake made us play? I didn't know what to do with anything. <laughs> <laughs> he literally stood there and yelled at me until I played it. And then when I said I didn't like it, he yelled at me some more. Exactly. And I will continue to do so. Um, I love yeah. that same I think it's looking at games. There are some games that I think are have really interesting technical components. But uh, when I take a step back and I think about it from a player i'm like oh but the game as a whole wasn't all that great or wasn't my style but i can still appreciate it from a professional standpoint of what went into it and the techniques yeah like the the amount of effort and process it took you to get to this point is inspiring even if the result is maybe less than perfect yeah and my game example of this is my favorite game in most likely the overwatch part. no screw you for even saying that <laughs> but um for example i love skyrim to death it has a special place in my <laughs> heart always will you know you know it will but and the only thing technical i really like about it is their leveling system and how they implemented that and the design behind it because it was true multi-classing you weren't bound by any classes or original choices you made. If you wanted to try magic for two tiers and then be like, yeah, fuck it, I'm going to do heavy armor, you could do that. And there wasn't really any heavy penalties to doing it. It was free and open how it did it, and I really appreciated that. And then I also appreciated how fleshed out the world was. But at the same time, the bugs in that game are numerous. I can't think of any. <laughs> oh, no. And, like, really bad phone for the game. But there are elements that I can extract from it and say, I think that what Skyrim did for the RPG with the leveling and the multi-classing it was really nice and really interesting to look at. It How they accomplished that and how they still tried to keep it balanced and interactive for the player is something that I, as a developer and designer like to look into but the game as a whole is laden with bugs and your standard rpg stuff so it's i like to take a look at it and say i there's this one gem in here that i see and i recognize but a common fan after their companion got launched into the sky and vanished into the abyss for the fifth time maybe like fuck it this game is horrible there's nothing great about it or they stalled out on mining in a game, in an iteration of the game that was released a decade after the initial of the initial, we just didn't fix yeah. that bug. Yeah. But I think it's definitely a different lens to look at. I think. And oh, go ahead, Matthew. I think too that we we haven't discussed this, but I do think there is an inherent value in being able to flip between the two, and I think that right. the disconnect between those two is something that having been through a lot of school in my life is the inherent problem with 
with people that teach any kind of creative field, right? Where it's like, oh, you'll you'll grow to hate this art or you'll lose your love for this particular form of art or you'll lose interest in it because you're going to look at it all the time. And it's like, if you can't step back and be a fan, why are you... If you can't step back and enjoy a book, why are you writing novels? If you can't step back and enjoy a movie, why are you trying to make one or a video game? Why are you trying to develop one? Like, if you can't still enjoy going to an art museum and observing paintings and taking them in and and thinking them over, if it's always just work, then I think you've sort of crossed that boundary the other direction, right? Like, a fan that doesn't take into account process is essentially just a whiner. And a creative that doesn't take into account uh, a purely observational perspective is kind of just, um, I mean, an asshole. Is what comes to my mind. <laughs> but I'll, I'll say pretentious, right? Like you, you, at that point, it's just pretension. And I think that when you look at um, the one that's coming to mind is Stanley Kubrick. Where, like, the love and the craft that would go into Stanley Kubrick picking a door for a shot of a movie that was under maybe five seconds long um, feels extreme. But what is lost in that is that it's not process that's driving him to do that necessarily as much as it is. He still loves film and understands the value of that observation. Am I making sense in that? You are. One of the things that I heard a lot when I started getting into game design education is that uh, you're not going to want to play games by the end of this. Oh, yeah. People told me that it removes the magic of them or something, which completely did not happen. No, in no way. In no way at all. And not only do I think it doesn't remove the magic of it, but I think you absolutely need to continue playing games. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like how do you have the vocabulary to talk to people about what's happening in the industry or like what we can incorporate into this genre of game if you haven't played any? I actually had this conversation with a number of classmates of mine who wanted to go into game design but only watched Let's Plays. Oh. And I was like, look, there is a huge difference from you watching somebody's reaction and experiencing it third hand and picking up the controller, putting yourselves in those character's shoes and playing it. Yeah. You need to know the firsthand feeling that the developers or designers are trying to invoke on the player to fully understand it. And while I think there's value in watching someone else's reaction to it, it can't replace having that reaction yourself and knowing what it's like to be a player, which is crucial anytime we design a game or work on developing it. I think that potentially brings up a third column that we haven't discussed. There's the designer's perspective, the player's perspective, and the viewer's perspective. And I feel With like the rise of streaming and everything. Yeah, with streaming and YouTube and just generally Wait. infinite space to comment. I think we want to jump in on that real quick and say, or I, I don't know why I said we, I want to jump in on that real quick and say the same thing applies concretely to movies, right? The number oh, yeah. of like internet pundit movies out there where they're theory crafting off of like trailers, like when, like Tenant is really big right now, 
uh, or was, I should say, because it's late July in 2020. But, um, right, they're sitting there and they're like, this is how we think the technology and tenant works. I'm watching like 10 minute theory crafts off of a trailer and I'm like, guys, just wait like, wait, wait like six weeks, right? Like, wait like six, eight weeks and then like actually observe it. Why are you releasing this video? Like, other than you need to generate content for your channel, I guess. Are you doing this? And I do think that the need to generate content is playing a role in what you're talking about. I think this most recently came to head and no spoilers in The Last of Us 2. You saw a lot. Jake, we already mentioned that in this podcast, there are spoils. Oh, uh, I don't. That's I, a, I still kind of don't that's a dog spoil. adoption game, right? Yeah, yeah, it's about, so, it's about the issue is is that we can't really <laughs> we can't really fully discuss a game if you don't spoil it. Okay, spoilers. Last of Us Two. You got three, two, one. Joel dies really early. And uh, no break there, huh? Just a fast count and a screw you. I mean, I really hope you weren't like watching this in an area where you don't have access to your phone. If you're on the toilet <laughs> and you just dropped your phone into the toilet, well, hello. And goodbye. <laughs> um, anyways. So yeah, no, Joel, there's a massive controversial story thing that happened, like a plot element. Joel just dies very early on in the game. And it doesn't sit well with the readers. But if you play the game, it actually kind of makes sense. Like, I don't hate that decision. And most of the people that, like, I played the game, I isolated myself from all sort of criticism when there was the leaks. I didn't get into it at all. I made sure that when the game came out, I downloaded it on my PlayStation, and then I shut off my computer for, like, two days, and I played through it without any sort of external opinions coming in. And then I watched people play the game afterwards. But I remember coming out of it, and my, like, unaltered opinion was just like, ugh. Yeah, that was pretty good, but like, ugh. And that tends to be the takeaway of actual players, but the massive outcry from the fan base of people that just didn't even get to play the game or they only watched it on a screen, through a stream, through a, a YouTuber, like a Let's Play uploader, and felt the need to go on and on and on about how the story was the massive issue with the game. Oh, the story was so terrible. The story, yeah, the story had issues, but the story was not the biggest part of that game that was a problem. The biggest part was, well, one, I would say the mission design was a tad arduous, to put it nicely. But you never see that brought up in any sort of internet commentary because the that entire third pillar that we talked about just dominates the conversation. People that have viewed the game they did not design the game and they did not play the game. I think this very thing is the reason why a while ago Steam had to change it so that you can't review a game without owning it. Oh, because yeah. when Let's Players became really big, if somebody's favorite Let's Player didn't like the game, they would review bomb it and destroy the game's chance instead of playing the game for themselves. So I think you're right in bringing up that this category is another weird powerhouse that now exists, is that you have professionals, people creating the content, you have people consuming the content or being involved in it, 
And then you have those from a third party indirectly experiencing the content. And this isn't to say that any of those perspectives is necessarily invalid. No, not at all. But but I do think there are unrecognized... It's like Amanda was saying right there. Like, there are unrecognized consequences to acting outside of the role that you're in. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't want to be like, stay in your lane, but like, if you're reviewing a game you haven't played, that is incredibly dishonest. Right. And if you're claiming you developed a game you didn't develop, that's equally incredibly dishonest. It's just that it is apparently dishonest in one respect and not apparently dishonest in the other. Does that make both are viewed one is viewed as a more serious crime and the other one's like nah, you probably shouldn't do that yeah but like very realistically in terms of impact to a particular art or something along those lines what you're doing is equally impactful yeah right getting something review bombed unintentionally not saying that internet pundits were asking this to happen but being a party to bombing something is a miserable act because honestly like what if you actually liked it i mean there's a good a good percentage of games that jake recommends to me and then nags me into playing that if i was reviewing it cold i'd be like uh three stars good effort and then i play it and i'm like actually for what it was that's a four or a five star game does that make yeah no that makes perfect sense and I, and I think, too, there are games that when I play them, and I'm looking at you, Benefati, no offense, you are a genius and all, but oh my gosh, playing uh, Getting Over It, and then watching Getting Over It, five stars, Markiplier, freaking amazing. I think I've seen the entire thing, the entire run of it twice, and I think I've played a total amount of that game of under 20 minutes. Because I watched Markiplier play it and felt the need to experience it, experienced it, and went, mm, this is not as enjoyable as watching somebody play it. And I think there is design intent in that on his part relative to the commentary that he put into it, where it's like he was aware that people would watch other people playing this. And that's a very interesting idea to me. So I guess natural follow-up question is when the professionals are designing a game, what pillar do you cater the most to? Because we've seen the high viewership from third-party people just watching the content from somebody else play have a massive impact on how the game is received by the overall community. But at the same time, people who are actually playing the game also have an impact. So was getting over it designed for the players playing it or for the people who are viewing it? See, I, I think that it's a... The, the complexity of that issue comes down to... Um, comes down to the, the, core, the core idea of how are you conceiving of this artwork. When you look at the idea and you're shaping that piece of... That, that, that concept from just a raw thought to an actual finished piece... What are you intending it to be? Right? And I mean, you see it all the time. Like, Hitchhiker's Guide is an amazing example uh, for those of us from the older school where it's like, it was a radio show, a TV miniseries, a movie, and a book. Right? And people have a preference among those as to what they like, especially depending upon when they were born and when they 
observed any given piece of this and the order in which they were observed, and there's a hierarchical ranking to it. Just like if you take the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi, depending upon when you were born and what order you watched Star Wars and which pieces of Star Wars you saw, whether it's some, all, or most, or many, or none, right? Obi-Wan has a completely different opinion. Obi-Wan from the Clone Wars is a very different character than what Sir Alec Guinness portrayed in A New Hope. And then when you play Obi-Wan, I mean, I play him mainly in tabletop games, it's a very different experience. And I think that playing a character that you've observed across an art form also has that very, very, very different feeling to it. Like um, when, uh, I guess this is still technically a spoiler, when Admiral Akbar was killed in The Last Jedi, I was filled with rage that they did it off screen because I had played Admiral Akbar on the tabletop for years in Star Wars Armada and won tournaments with him and, like, placed top five in nationals with him when there was still a nationals tournament. This is going back some now. And I was like, that character meant the world to me on a personal level because I interacted with it in a way that very few people did. And there is this kind of crisscross level to things that alters these roles. I, taking what you just said, I almost want to relate movies created by, movies created based on already existing franchises or material is almost like watching somebody else play through a game in my mind in that you are only seeing one person's interpretation of the game. You are seeing the directors or the writers or whoever's interpretation of that original content instead of experiencing that original content for yourself. And the same thing with a let's player and a viewer is that I am only experiencing it through their eyes and what they want to do for the game and the choices they make, not the choices I would make. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. Interesting. I think to go back to the question you asked before of which one do you focus on? Yeah. I don't think that there's a right answer, but I think you have to pick one. Because I don't know that there's a way that you could balance all of them. I I think... Well, at least. I think this is also a fairly new problem. New being like last 10 years or so. Yeah. I think- Where you only really created games for people who were going to play them. And now you have this huge internet community that watches one person play them. And you better hope that this one influential person really freaking likes it. I actually think from a scholarly perspective, um, the interesting pieces coming out of this are people that do fill multiple roles and what happens in those multiple roles. Can you give an example? I mean, I mean, the getting over an example I already gave, right? But I think anytime you're filling multiple roles and gaining insight into a work in a multidimensional facet is wildly more valuable and interesting than a single facet. And I think that, to Amanda's point, this is brand new. It, it's not something we're really talking about in a when I watch it versus play it versus build it perspective, right? And I think that that is a massive, massive, massive 
concern for how art is going to go. And what happens to things like novels where it's like, oh, well, I can write them and I can read them, but I'm not really typically watching somebody else read it. Right? Right. right? And yeah, you. But you can watch a movie based on that novel, which would be one person's interpretation of it. Or one interpretation. I should yeah. say one person. It's, it's definitely not one person. Not one. Definitely not one person. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that, um, I, I think that, yeah, I don't know. I lost my, uh, no, I think you're right. Like going back to the Bennett Foddy thing, um, and getting over it, it's sort of designed with the intent of one being a very interesting design game, like from the perspective of game designers, we could talk about it all day. And then from the viewer's perspective, it's really interesting to watch too. The player, it's hard to play that game. I mean, intentionally so. It's not detracting from it at all. But it's hard to sit down by yourself and play that game. Like even I imagine for the streamers, if they shut off their stream and just said, what am I going to do in my free time? It might not necessarily be playing, getting over it alone in a dark room. Them having the audience is important for that game. So I don't... I'm not necessarily adding anything, but I think you're absolutely right where the sort of masterworks that have come out in the past five-ish years have managed to balance at least two of those categories. Well, I mean, some like Amanda said, some of them are built for it. Like you look at Overwatch where it's like, yeah, we built a league around it. It And yeah. and the truth is, is that I think Over, Overwatch's ma- one of Overwatch's major failings is that it is not actually more fun to watch than it is to play. But it, but they try to build and design it to be more entertaining to watch. Yeah, and honestly, like I think it would be a better game if it was harder to play but more entertaining to watch. Because then yeah. the league would be successful, and you're going to make more money off of the league in theory than you will off of people buying a sixty dollars copy of Overwatch. Plus all the skins. Yeah, plus all the skins. <laughs> Those microtransactions. I don't know, microtransaction in face. I mean, isn't that kind of League of Legends at that point? Slightly more difficult or maybe you a take little that less back. satisfying. <laughs> I, I think, I don't know. That's a hard argument to make. I'll say a little less satisfying to play. Because playing Overwatch, like it, first of all, it's a game that was designed in, you know, the tens as opposed to the zeros. Um, and it's just overall, like there's a lot more happening. There's a lot more feedback. It's a lot more engaging to play. I do think... But... No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say, but the the viewing perspective uh, is not as fun. Like, it, League just are, objectively has a bigger esports scene for a good reason. But I do think the evolution of MOBAs is not in gameplay, um, but is literally in how do you make a more watchable MOBA? Yes. How do you make a MOBA where the barrier to entry to watching you play or to watching it as an eSport, is not having an encyclopedic knowledge of League of Legends, but is much more accessible to a generalist viewer. Because I would watch a MOBA all day, because watching a MOBA is a real strategy battle, right? But yeah. it needs to be something that I don't need to know, whatever it is, 130 champions, 160 champions now? It's upwards of 30-something. Yeah, 130, and then, like, what's relevant and what's meta? Like, okay, like... <laughs> the and play almost produces that knowledge base for a viewer more so than produces players. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I think there's that synergy there that, like, yeah, I think the next interesting MOBA is the one that's... It's fun to play, but, like, really it's fun to watch. And the viewers can cling to it and get good at it, and the developers can develop for the viewers, and whoever wants to play it plays it. So I'm at the 43-minute mark yeah, we of should. my recording. But... I have one last question. If we want to try and push this maybe a little longer. We have, I have to leave in a few minutes. But ask the question. My question is, where do we put critics in all this? Because for, for a lot of critics, when it comes to games, they are fans that have just been elevated in the spotlight. So I think what you're going to see, or what I would like to see, um, is a development where the school of criticism for video games goes scholarly or pseudo scholarly, and there's the instead of the generally agreed upon criteria, there's an evolutionary criteria of what we're looking at for different groups and different periods and different types of games. Um, that holds its own rigor, and that's where that divide comes in, where it's like, yeah, like these are pundits and these are critics, and the critics are adhering to this generally agreed upon consensus code. Right, but then you have the YouTubers who have mass followings who will review games, which put them in a critic, a false critic position I to think that- provide insight on this game when all they will give you is raw emotions and why they didn't like it without actually analyzing it. That means they're not a critic, they're just a reviewer. Yeah. But the viewers view them as a valid critique on the game. I don't think you can change that, right? Where people decide that they want to put their trust. But nobody will make the mistake of saying that a, a movie pundit on YouTube um, I love his videos. This is not detracting from it at all, but I'll use Chris Stuckman as an example. Is not the same as like a through and through film critic. Those are two different sources of information. I, I think that you, your perspective determines that. As a consum- as a consumer or an observer of this, whatever your capacity is, you implicitly understand that, and those schools might intersect, and those schools have often intersected where. That's the whole construct on Rotten Tomatoes, right? Like, fans are saying this, and critics are saying this. Right. Right? And they're looking for different things. And then Oscars are essentially a weird blend thereof. And I think that that's okay. And I think that that soup has existed for as long as art has existed. But just like, yeah, like, what people consider valid shifts and changes and is a little bit personal. and you know, some of them will always consider some of the others to just be plain wrong. And that's a routine argument at Christmas dinner at my uncle's house on Christmas Eve, where my, oh, I don't want to out him. Ah, that's to it. Where one of the family members is a guy that wrote reviews that considers himself a critic, but has no genuine training. And because he has no genuine training, he's very uptight about it. I hope he doesn't listen to this now that I've said that. Um, it's the Yelp issue. Uh-huh. <laughs> My brain just went to South Park. Oh, fair. <laughs> With all the Yelp reviewers. Fair. <laughs> so maybe the answer for games 
is that we kind of need something akin to the Oscars. Because I, I know there's a lot to complain well, about no. with how they're judged. No, no, let's not do Oscars. Let's say we need we need well, the, film I, critics. Like, film has critics that have studied the art and can analyze it from a more scholarly lens, like Matthew was saying. Games are lacking that. Film, well, yeah, exactly. I'm going to shortcut what Amanda said. Video games need critical scholars. The problem is you live in an age where that is a non-rewarded, non-lucrative profession that used to be an overhead that we paid for as a society through universities, and we don't really do that anymore. Yeah, but isn't that kind of the idea of like the Academy Awards? No. Where people are nope. selected based nope. on their involvement in the industry? No, because these are people that are always outside the industry. These are not these are people with training that are non participants that are trained in a school of thought that is relative to strict criticism. In other words, interpreting literature uh, or studying literature or however you would choose to phrase it that's accessible to everybody uh, is not the same as being a writer or an editor. So we kind of got off topic with this. I'm sorry, Jake, do you have a rebuttal? No, I'll, I'll think I'm good to just leave it at that. I was say we're so also- we kind of got off topic with this podcast, but I think it was a good discussion on what the differences are between professionals, fans, where we're lacking in some areas, and new categories that have emerged and how we handle those categories. Agreed. I'm going to think, I have to think of a new name for this episode. Yeah, I feel like I'm going to think about this episode and text you all in like an hour and be like, we should do four more podcasts on this. Yeah, but also give me a new name for this episode, please. Because it can't be the original question because we spent maybe like five minutes on it and then derailed, which was fine because it brought about nice discussion points to talk about. But yeah. Yeah. I think the more anyway, I feel like the more podcasts we record, the more podcasts there are to record. Y- yes, <laughs> it's like an it's like lost, only not terrible. Oh god! Well, thank you for listening to whatever podcast number this is, Ducklings. Uh, we'll see you next time we do a podcast, which we actually don't have set up another topic for yet. Give but, me uh, an hour. Yeah, give give us an hour, specifically Mazio, an hour. And I'm sure we'll have another one and there will be another one coming up. But as always, thanks for listening and we'll see, we'll speak to you in the next one. I can't really say see you in the next one. You don't know my life. Oh, God. I can see you right now. Listener. Quack, quack. <laughs> <laughs>